a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up after 10.15 on the program, our therapist panel discusses people pleasers, how this can get you into a bit of hot water if you're too much of a people pleaser. We'll discuss that, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. You can also send me your emails to lori at drlori.com anytime during the week. Remember, it's anonymous. I don't use any names ever. Uh, you can text them right here right now at 514-800. You can call in if you'd like at 514-790-0800. Uh, first question, do people who cross-dress want to be considered slash seen as women, or is it that they enjoy the cross-dressing but still want to be seen as men by other people? So there are actually a lot of uh, misconceptions around cross-dressing, so commonly known as transvestism, meaning men who dress up as women. Generally speaking, cross-dressers or transvestites are not people who want to change their genders versus, let's say, a transsexual or transgendered. So transvestite and transgender are two separate things. Uh, Cross-dressers are usually straight males who enjoy the cross-dressing, enjoy the feeling of wearing female clothing. For some, it is arousing, so it it is fetishized, Uh, so it's a fetishistic uh, transvestism um, where they get aroused by putting on uh, women's clothing. And for others, they just enjoy it uh, just to be seen, to to put on uh, women's makeup, clothing, all of that, and they just feel good doing that. So it has nothing to do necessarily with their, uh, with their sexuality. And it's uh, not about orientation either. So most cross-dressers, the vast majority, uh, unless you're looking at, um, let's say, uh, you know, the, the show people who put on, uh, who put on shows, usually uh, gay men who put on uh, drag shows, for example, they cross-dress also, but they don't want to be women. They're still men, but that's a, a different um, a different population. But for transvestites, generally speaking, they are uh, straight men. Uh, all right. I have a question. I hope you can help me out with it. We are married for two years. Uh, we want to have kids. We've had a few miscarriages. We're trying every month again and again, but no luck. Every time we have sex, it's a nightmare for my wife. In the beginning, she kept complaining that she has pain, um, but uh, and she never enjoys it. We want to have children, but my wife is like, do your thing and leave me alone. Let's wait for the results. So she's having procreative sex only. I was wondering if I'm doing something wrong or the problem is with her. Is there something I can do so she will enjoy it? Do women usually enjoy it. Um, I want my wife to start feeling pleasure. So a couple of questions here. First of all, I would want to get to the bottom of the pain. Why is she experiencing pain? 
it could be a couple things. Could be that she's not aroused enough and so she's not lubricated and so penetration is more painful. So I would recommend that you engage in foreplay, meaning stimulating her genitals with your hand, with your mouth, getting her aroused before penetration. Second thing, use lubricant. Use an external lubricant uh, during uh, intercourse. If the pain is deeper inside and it hurts her uh, throughout, then I would say let's get that pain evaluated because it can turn into something where she starts to clench, she starts to uh, contract her vaginal muscle where it will be very difficult to penetrate because she keeps experiencing this pain. It's like a response to trauma, right? It's like getting punched in the stomach. You flinch, you, you tense, you, you contract. So the, the, the vagina does the same thing. So I would recommend that she speak to her gynecologist about the pain or uh, and or see a pelvic floor physiotherapist as well who can help her um, open up a little bit, help her, help see where the pain is actually uh, is actually coming from. So it's not that you're doing anything wrong. The only thing you may not be doing, and I don't have enough information here, but the only thing you may not be doing is providing enough stimulation, uh, enough foreplay. Um, so that would be where at least I would uh, I would start. Can I catch anything if a prostitute performed oral sex on me? I was not wearing a condom. So let's just talk about HIV transmission for a moment. Uh, during unprotected oral sex, there's still a risk, but it is not a high risk. It's much higher through intercourse. Uh, I think I would be more concerned with uh, STIs like chlamydia, gonorrhea, or herpes because these can also be transmitted from skin-to-skin contact. So you would want to get tested uh, for these. But remember that there's a window period. That is a time where an STI is alive in your body, is contagious, but yet it's not yet detectable. So chlamydia, for example, has a 3 to 10-day window. But HIV's window is 3 to 6 months. I know it's pretty, it can cause an enormous amount of anxiety and fear in people because they have to wait uh, to get tested at three months and then again um, at six months. So if you have any worry that you've been exposed to HIV, first of all, if there's any worry, the first thing you should take is the prevention um, medication as soon as you have unprotected sex. I, I believe it's PrEP, um, which you can uh, find out about uh, online or through the pharmacy. So that would be to prevent the, um, it's like the morning after pill, basically. It's not a contraceptive, obviously, but but it, it serves that uh, that purpose. And then uh, for HIV, you'd have to wait at least three months after the encounter to get an accurate uh, test result. So get tested. If you are under the age of 25, you can get tested at a youth clinic like Head and Hands, for example. You can go to the Jewish General Hospital's in infectious disease clinic. There are other places where you can also get this done. If you're a student, you can go to your uh, your the health services at your CJEP or university as well. 
Uh, cross-dressing, this texture writes, strange indeed, but it really irks me when one cross crosses my path. Why? My immediate reaction is to bite my bottom lip not to laugh as I find it comical, almost caricature. However, always wonder, even with that large Adam's apple, their makeup is exquisite and it gets my goat how incredibly well they walk in those stilettos. Well, that's all part of the fun. It's like putting on an act and, and acting like. It's not being a woman. It's acting like a woman uh, for, uh, for people who are uh, cross-dressing. So it's not the same as feeling like you are a, a woman inside your male body and therefore expressing it outwardly in feminine ways and it would be the expression of your what you're feeling internally. For cross-dressers, internally they still feel like men and don't want to get rid of that. They just occasionally enjoy the, uh, the, the dressing up part and for some really get a sexual... Uh, a sexual charge out of that. So this morning on Andrew Carter's show, we talked about uh, people pleasers, and I wanted to continue that conversation with the therapists in the room. So we're going to be four therapists. Any, Of course, if you have any other issues that our therapists can help you with, you know you can always text us at 514-800. But one of the things we all see in our practice are people who uh, are uh, are the pleasers, the people pleasers who get into, unfortunately, sometimes uh, abusive relationships or, or relationships where they feel used, unappreciated, and, and they grow a lot of resentment and it's related to self-worth, of course, and, and other things. So we often see people like that in our practice. We'll talk about that. Let's see if you're a people pleaser. And if you are, what can you do about it to protect yourself? From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Would you consider yourself a real people pleaser where you feel responsible for how other people feel, uh, where you sometimes feel taken advantage of, where... Your own stuff doesn't matter as much as other people. Well, this can get you into some trouble in, uh, in relationships, and you may want to change this. Not the same as being kind. We're not talking about uh, people-pleasing and kindness. Don't need to, don't lump them together because you can be kind and still turn down someone who asks you a favor, for example, and you can say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I'm not available. It's still a kind thing. So I want to discuss this further. I talked about it on Andrew Carter's show this morning, but of course, you know, very, very brief conversation. I want to go into it in a little, a bit more uh, depth with our therapist in studio. We have uh, Rebecca Putterman. She is a professional social worker and psychotherapist. Stefan Bensusen is a health psychologist, founder of Psy Santé in the West Island, and Jackie Miller, a clinical 
clinical psychologist and psychology college professor as well, and me, uh, a clinical psychologist specializing in sex and marital uh, therapy. Welcome to the program, people. Hi. Hey. A room Hi. full of my peeps. I love, love <laughs> it. Uh, all right. I, I'm sure, and we can have this discussion, but every single one of us, at least, every, if not every day, every week, will see somebody who we would consider a people pleaser. So maybe we can start with how you how you recognize that right away. Rebecca, do you want to start? Uh, sure. Well, in my practice, um, I'm often meeting people who, when I hear them say, I know, uh, like I feel bad or I feel guilty if I don't. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first signs I'm like, oh, so this might be someone who doesn't recognize what they want or need. Because sometimes it's about not even knowing right. what you want or need. Well, not even thinking it, first for exactly. oneself. Say, hmm, what do I need? And looking at, well, what do you need? And then I'll just do what you need. Except what I noticed most of the time is that if I say, well, what did your gut initially tell you? They'll often say, oh, I didn't want to do that, but I felt bad and guilty. So I just went ahead and did it. Mm-hmm. So in terms of recognizing it in the work I do, um, it's definitely, I would say, more proportional to women. Um, yes, I think so. Although men too can be people pleasers. They can be. Mm-hmm. I definitely can see that as well. But definitely feel um, that they have to do for others to be kind, to, be, to do the right thing versus to do what's important to them. Right. But sometimes the right thing, they interpret the right That's thing right differently than the morally right thing, right? It's like, I think I have to do this. That's right. It's not really necessarily the right thing. I have to call this person back. I have to help them. Like, you know, it's someone's in need. I have to make a meal for them. But they're putting their own needs aside, whether it's time constraint for them, but they're putting themselves out when they really don't have the want or the need or the time, mm-hmm. but it's for them because they have to. And it's that have to. Right. It's not the, I, I want to be a kind. I have to be. I have That's to right. do this. Right. And I think we have to make the distinction between between kindness and doing everything to please others, to get the validation from others. Jackie? Yeah. And I think too, like when you're being kind, you usually feel good about that. But often people pleasers the emotions they're experiencing are anxiety or they're experiencing low self-esteem or they're having issues with their confidence. And so, but when we're being kind and helpful, we often, you know, we feel good about that. We have a a, a very good point, a a positive emotion. And so I often see uh, clients that they're really struggling with trying it's what we call that those conditions of worth right I I'm only as good as or I only feel good about myself or only feel like people care about me if I'm meeting their conditions of worth so if I give to them yeah exactly and it could even be parents with kids you know like oh I got this mark or I accomplished this and so my parents Mm -hmm. are really happy but when I'm not performing then I don't get that positive regard and so you you kind of learn Mm -hmm. okay how do how do I get positive regard from people oh I I do what what they they expect of me what they need of me what they need of me not what I and then I spend a lot of time trying to figure out what are other people's expectations right and and a lot of energy actually is Mm -hmm. spent trying to figure out how do I so how do I meet the needs of somebody else how do I 
avoid conflict because avoiding oh, yeah. conflict is a very big part of Absolutely. being a people pleaser mm -hmm. as well, right? So walking on eggshells in the end because, mm -hmm. of course, if you can't express yourself, uh, you're not going to get your needs met if you don't express yourself. Stefan, what are your thoughts? So with my clients, I call this the chameleon effect. Okay. Yes, that's true. Like you're adapting yourself to please others and you want to align yourself with whatever else everybody else is saying just so you look like you're in alignment. You you agree with them. You're, you're afraid of conflict. You're afraid of speaking up for yourself, asserting your position, sounding different, looking different, uh, thinking different. Um, it's like you're, you don't want to cause any stir, so you just do what everybody else is doing and, and appear like you're aligning with this person. But then when you talk to another person who has a different opinion, you'll change your opinion again for that individual. Right. So that's what I call the chameleon effect. That's, uh, I like that. That's, that's quite true because one of the main uh, signs of people pleasers is pretending to agree with everyone. Even though deep inside right. you're not in agreement, you'll just go along with it. Right. So who are you really? Right. If mm -hmm. you're if you're always changing yourself according to who you're talking to, changing your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, um, who really are you? And, and sometimes people go through difficult times. And and when when it when they don't know who they are and you ask them, what what kind what do you stand for? What are your values? They don't even seem to. know. Right. What do you like? Like sometimes right. I'll have this conversation. What do you like? I don't know. I have no like, idea. Like, you know, when somebody no. says, I don't know what I like, like that's a sign for mm -hmm. me that there's there's something where they have not even considered themselves in in that uh, in that equation mm -hmm. and many times people will come into therapy because they get to a point in life where they don't recognize themselves where they forget lost themselves yeah they've they've lost themselves in the oftentimes in the relationship that uh, that they're in and it's for me it's a, it's an individual who really hasn't really grown up on an emotional maturity level mm -hmm. it's kind of the child who always wants to please mommy and daddy and is so afraid of saying something different that they'll be very pleasing, pleasing, pleasing. And some people, usually in teenage years, we go through a phase where we rebel and we stand out and we express ourselves and we act you know, assertively. And then in our early 20s, we go into a phase of independence and separation. But some people don't actually go through that. Some people mm -hmm. don't rebel in their teenage years and their right. early adulthood. And so what happens is that they continue acting like little kids in a grown-up world. Right. And, and that causes them, obviously, interpersonal issues, and then boundary issues come up, and then relationship difficulties occur, and then they get used and taken advantage of. And then they, yeah, then they feel all the symptoms we felt. We mentioned the guilt and the sadness and the depression and the, and the anxiety or resentment and mm -hmm. so forth. And that's when they come in to see us because it, they can't take it at some point. Right. At some point, it, it's too much. But it's interesting, too, because there's a belief that they can they can somehow make someone else happy mm -hmm. so they do everything to mm -hmm. make someone else happy and are confused when that per when it's like what else can i do like they're not, why aren't why isn't this enough so i'm not doing enough i have to do more i have to do more because that person is not happy but so they don't understand that the other person's happiness is not their responsibility or not in their control it's like they don't have their own identity yet it's not formed right and so they try to match someone else's feelings and identity to, to if, if that person, I admire that person, I want to be just like them. And, and sometimes they, they misperceive that if I act like them, then I will be like them and I'll gain their confidence and I'll gain their love and I'll gain their trust and I'll please them. Yeah. And I think it's also, I think it was mentioned just that, you know, if you're brought up with 
unconditional love, mm. then it's also, you know, if I do this, then I'll be loved. Then I'll be accepted. Mm -hmm. If I do what all the other kids are doing, then I'll be part of the group. And it's really hard to differentiate yourself sometimes and stand up for yourself as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, because there are expectations on one hand as well. But I think it becomes important. Like when you said people, I say, what are you, what's important? Like, I don't even ask anymore. What are your needs or what are your wants? I just say, what's important to you to start mm -hmm. beginning to say, what values do you have to help people develop a sense of like, what do I believe in? What is important? You, Rebecca, you brought up the, the, the whole idea of conditional love. And I think that when kids grow up in a, in an environment where they feel that their parents' love is conditional. That's right. That's where they develop this habit. It's it's a habit that's right. that they they know that okay, well if if I do this, then I'll be loved. If I do this, then but it never actually works. That's the thing is they can never do enough. enough, and so they end up in situations where they're constantly doing more and more and more. We should love our children unconditionally. And a parent, you know, parents' love needs to be unconditional. You may not like a kid's behavior, but you still love them, and the children need to to feel that in but order not, not to do. develop this. Yeah. But not yeah. for what they do for us. Not for what they do for us. That's right. the whole thing. It's what they, like we've had them to do for them. That's right. We do. do it's it's a one way. I always tell people, parenting is one way. Yeah. <laughs> it's not two. It's not a two way street. It is a one way street. Uh, are you a people pleaser? Do you have trouble saying no? And if you can't say no, we'll try to help you uh, in terms of how to set boundaries with our therapist panel, Rebecca Putterman, Stefan Bensus, and Jackie Miller in studio. with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight on our therapist panel, we're talking about people-pleasing. There's a lot of people-pleasers out there, and each of us uh, here on this panel see it in our own practices. Probably one of the most common threads, one of the most common issues uh, are people who come in who have this profile of people-pleasing. They get themselves into bad situations, bad relationships, uh, boundary issues with family, uh, issues sometimes with kids. Like it, it's, it's pretty common. In studio with us, uh, Rebecca Putterman. She's a professional social worker and psychotherapist. Stefan Bensusen is a health psychologist, founder of Psy Santé in the West Island. Jackie Miller, who's a clinical psychologist and psychology uh, college professor as well. And me, a clinical psychologist uh, specializing in sex and marital therapy. So I've got a few texts here, 514-800. As a gay teenager in 1982, I had to be a people pleaser to save my skin from being beat by the bullies. It was only on December 31st, 1999, that I was determined to live my life for me no matter what someone thinks. I've always known I'm a good person. I work in a high school now. Kids call me Gramps uh, or Santa with my bushy white beard. They know all about me. So, like, I get that, that you, to protect your skin, sometimes you have to be. And in this situation, I totally understand. But uh, I love that there was a realization, like, no, it's time for me to live for me. And I think by the time people see us in, in therapy, people have come to that same realization that they don't want to live that way 
anymore. They want to find a new way, uh, develop better habits of being, maybe help uh, with this boundary. Another text writes, a very dangerous people-pleasing behavior for women is giving in to a boyfriend who doesn't want to wear a condom. So she complies because she doesn't want to lose him. This happens way too much and has caused many severe consequences for people-pleasers and is a great reason to change this behavior immediately. That's true. That is exactly a behavior where women can find themselves and men too, but women can, mostly women that we see doing this, but find themselves in awkward or or sexual situations that they are not comfortable with, but will not say so. uh, And then suffer the whatever psychological or physical consequences of that because they were unable uh, or felt they could not say no and wanted to do something for their partner. Jackie? Yeah, and oftentimes um, the underlying assumption that people pleasers have is is the assumption that, oh, I can figure out like what to do or what to say that will make someone think of me in a positive way, mm-hmm. that I can actually figure that out. And one of the things I talk to clients about is that you don't really influence how people are going to think about you or feel about you. They they already ha- come to you and react to you with their own biases, mm-hmm. their own way. Like how people treat you and what they say to you is a reflection of who they are. Right. It's not a reflection of who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. And it's, you really can't influence someone like that. And they spend, people pleasers, I think they spend a lot of time trying to develop this skill somehow of almost figuring out, okay, what does that person want? And let me give it to them. But it's, it's a skill that you, it's not possible. It's unrealistic. And especially in relationships, I think this gets people in trouble because Mm -hmm. they also think that the more I do, the better that the other person will be, the happier the other person will be, the better our relationship will be. If I only did this, if I did more of this, Mm -hmm. then my partner would give me more attention, more affection, more appreciation without realizing that maybe they're in a relationship with someone who's taking from them. Because Mm -hmm. frankly, the narcissists of this world, the Mm -hmm. takers of this world, are looking for people pleasers. That's exactly who they want in their corner. And you get into this dynamic, it's almost like there's this attraction between people pleasers and people who can... People users. Yeah. Well, they can sense that. They find each other. Yeah. Yeah. And clients sometimes, they come in and they're they're presenting with being angry, angry at a boss who they feel is not appreciating them or angry at someone who they feel is not treating them right. But underlying that is the fact that, yeah, they've been trying and trying and trying to get a positive reaction from this person that they won't get because that person is is just looking at them as someone to fulfill their needs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that we find in relationships, of mm-hmm. course. And I think, you know, when we try to understand why people do this, so whether it's conditional love uh, versus unconditional love, you know, sometimes if you grew up and you had a difficult relationship with one of the parents of a, the opposite gender and you're seeking out that person to be loved by a father or a mother and then you end up in a relationship maybe and you're seeking those same wants and needs from a partner but you're willing again to do anything for them. And I often see young uh, women, young adult women, who are willing to go into open relationships despite completely disagreeing with an open relationship mm-hmm. and having... Like a non-monogamous relationship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they're doing it in the hope 
that if I please that side of what he would want, then maybe he'll see that I'm the, the right one or the better one out of all the women he'll be with. And it's mm. important. And I think, you know, we have to really be aware of what what makes us feel good and the confidence that relates to it. Yeah. Uh, Texter writes, and I don't seem to have so much of an issue in initially saying no and setting boundaries as much as I do in recognizing when enough is enough after having said yes, rather thereby extending continuous chances. So somebody who gives that too many chances, that's a, also a good point. Uh, unappreciative and hence unworthy individuals who never seem to learn, but rather abuse of such perpetually and empathetically offered opportunities instead. So I'm wondering whether such a tendency is equivalent to being a people pleaser or not. Absolutely. Sometimes people pleasers, the problem is they end up in situ, they, they stay in situations too long because of the people pleasing tendency. Actually, we did a show on empaths and, uh, how they, uh, uh, how narcissists are often attracted to them and, uh, empaths are hugely empathetic and so they will put themselves out there and they will be very sensitive to other people's needs and they will do for others the problem is is because of that trait which is not a bad trait is it's nice but they stay in a situation too long and they give those too many chances where someone else might have said you know what you you blew it like you've crossed the line twice now I'm out you know, I'm out, it's done, uh, and wouldn't pursue such a, a, a relationship. So, yeah, I would say uh, that would be an issue. Stefan? So a lot of people come to therapy because, you know, they say enough is enough. You know, I've had many clients tell me that I've, I've had enough of this. I've tried. I've tried so hard to please, to make them happy, and no matter what I do, it's never enough. And they try different techniques, different tools, but it, they always come out feeling frustrated and disappointed and resentful. And... It, it, whether it's the child at 12 years old who's tired of chasing after daddies for his attention or whether it's the 45-year-old woman who's tired of begging her husband for something, it's there. there is a point in time when there's a lot of suppressed emotion that this individual has had and they realize that they're not getting anything back anymore. And that's when the decision happens in their minds that say, okay, I've got to change. Something's got to change. Mm -hmm. So what, do we, what is it that I need to do to change the balance of power? because they often feel like they, the other one has more power than I do. Right. And I want to um, come back and talk about how to set boundaries, so maybe we can give some tools. We can go around the room with our therapist, Rebecca Putterman, Stefan Bensusen, Jackie Miller. We are all clinical uh, clinicians here in private practice, uh, working with all kinds of, of populations, but we all, all of us, see people pleasers we want to call it. it's not it's not really a, a clinical term um, but we do see the, this kind of, uh, of profile and these are people who come to us because they do want to change because they've had enough and they realize this is this is uh, it's taking a toll on me and it's a great thing when they end up in our office because we really can help them um, finally find themselves and reestablish uh, and, and establish boundaries. So coming up, we'll talk about how do we establish boundaries. Uh, we'll give some, some examples of that.
This is Passion on CJD 800. Talking about uh, people pleasers tonight with our therapist panel, Rebecca Putterman, Stefan Bensus, and Jackie Miller. Uh, so people pleasers are, are often people who have a really hard time saying no. They, uh, they try to be agreeable to everybody else. They, uh, in relationships, often uh, take the blame or, or not take the blame, but feel um, responsible for someone else's happiness. They often feel quite burdened by all the things that they have to do. They don't have to do them, but the things they tell themselves they, uh, they have to do. Uh, they often need the praise and appreciation in order to feel good. And so depend on, uh, on this validation. They often go through great lengths to avoid, uh, conflict. And one of the things that is really important is to learn how to break free from, from this pattern of people pleasing. And the, f- the first thing is how to, uh, how to set boundaries. So who want, which one of you wants to take it on? How, what is it to set boundaries? <laughs> Stefan, you want to go right. with that? Well, for me, it's really about turning the focus from outside to within. Instead of focusing on what can I do for that person to make him or her happy, what do I need to do to make me happy? Turning inside, what do I want? What do I need? What makes me happy? What can, what, what is it that I do for myself on a daily basis? And I get my clients to say, I'm the most important person in my life. And they have to recite that every day. And then they have to prove it to themselves every day. So how can you prove that you're the most important person in your life? What do you need to do every morning, every lunch, every, every evening? And that starts shifting their focus from what am I doing for others to what can I do for myself? That's the first step. So uh, oftentimes when um, I work with people who are trying to make the shift, of course, they're doing it alone, like they come for therapy alone, unless they come with a couple, but let's say they're alone. Then they go home and practice this uh, boundary setting and they come back and say, ah, oh, my family thinks I'm a, I'm a bitch now and I, I'm this. Like they're being accused of because now suddenly they're not pleasing everybody and saying mm-hmm. yes to everybody. And the minute they start to say no, mm-hmm. uh, the what, what are they getting back, right? They're getting from the others who are were using them a, manipul- a manipulative technique mm-hmm. to say, uh, what's wrong with you? You're Why are you selfish being selfish? Now. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You're being selfish. So we have to understand there's nothing wrong with taking care of the self. It mm-hmm. isn't selfish to take care of the self. Self-loving. Yeah, it's self-love, and self-love is number one. Then you can people love. Exactly. Uh, so... I examples agree of with setting everything. boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I ask people to do is find someone who's safe for them, where they might uh, be specifically going against what that person who they know they can do anything with, say anything with, um, and just negate something someone has said that they feel safe with. Mm-hmm. So they also have so they to begin intru- small like that. You can yeah. say no to a small thing. To it doesn't have thing, to be a huge thing. And someone that they know is not going to turn them away and start calling them names. Because I have people who say, like you just described, I go home and I say it with this. Because people have been used to you saying yes, yes, yes. That's you're the right. yes person. And in fact, I think you're the one who always said, I'm always good until my next no. No, yeah, no, I, I'm only, I'm, I'm, I'm only as, I'm good, only as, as good as my last yes. My yeah. last yes or the next no, you know. Right. 
And I'll often tell people that so long as I say yes. So start saying no to someone who you're comfortable with and see what's the worst case scenario. What do you think is going to happen? And then see, because most of the times I actually don't think people will react and say, oh, good for you, or even explain yourself. It's a, I'm practicing this. So I ask people to share with someone that they know loves them for who they are and explain to them, I'm just starting to do this. Right. And hopefully you'll still love me after this. Well, it's also, you You want to reach your own goals, right? That's so right. You, you need to be able to think, what, 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 what are my goals? What are my values? And act accordingly to my values. So being able to set those limits for yourself is uh, absolutely necessary. Actually, I love what someone said. I would say it's self-honoring. Mm -hmm. self-honoring to practice self-compassion rather so i like one. that self-honoring yeah honor thyself uh first instead mm -hmm. of honoring all these people who are sometimes just using you yeah. jackie yeah and oftentimes people will engage in a behavior because this is a behavior like avoidance of conflict right it's a behavior and you're focused on what's the benefit of avoiding the conflict versus what could be the cost of that which is the cost to your self-esteem mm -hmm. your self-confidence but people will often engage in behavior when it's rewarding. And so it's getting people to refocus on, okay, it's, what's the, the cost of doing this behavior? Not so much the reward. Because sometimes it, mm -hmm. they do feel a bit reward. Oh, someone was nice to them. Someone mm -hmm. did give them a compliment. Someone did invite them to a party or someone did pay attention to them. But get them to refocus on, yeah, but what of what are all the costs in your it, to you in your personal life, your confidence, your anxiety, being angry? And then as the rewards go down for that behavior, introducing another behavior, you know, practicing, like Rebecca said, practicing gradually to set limits, to say no, gradually getting comfortable with, you know, uh, being able to behave differently in situations that normally you would you would be the person that you're constantly going above and beyond. Right. But being able to feel comfortable pulling back, you know. Right. Especially in relationships, I think this yeah. is far more important. And I think when we talk about goals, like you think you mentioned goals or, stra you know, under each goal, there's strategies and you have to plan for this. Mm -hmm. So we can Actions. just say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that when we say, oh, I just want to become, I want to say no, or I want to be confident or, so what goes into that? What are mm -hmm. all the strategies you need to do? Like if you want to start losing weight, you have to plan meals, you have to get running shoes. If you want to go to a gym, you have to check out what classes you want to go to. So there's so many strategies to figure out. And I do think that if you're planning on stopping a behavior, as it was mentioned, then I think you have to really put thought into it. And it's a goal to set with plans and strategies. And I think it's important, too, for people to know that it is a behavior that can change. It's yes. not your personality. Mm. Oh, right. that's just right. who I am. I'm just a people pleaser. Yeah, mm. that's right. Because people think it's their personality, and personality is, you know, stable and unchangeable. Yeah. So reframing it as this is a behavior, that's and like good. any other behavior, you can break it. I think that's, it. it's important to, to, if people understand where it came from. That's right then that they weren't born this way, they were made this way. And to understand how it evolved, I think is a big step in it. So of course, in therapy, you get to learn a lot about how did I become this? Uh, how did I develop this trait? Exactly. And then, um, then it's easier to start changing it when you have an understanding of it, rather than thinking exactly, well, I I'm just this way, and, and, and too bad, so sad. No, it doesn't work like that. We actually have uh, control 
mm-hmm. much more control over uh, these kinds of behaviors. Mm-hmm. So therapy is a big, I think, is a, a really big help in uh, teaching people how to set those boundaries, set limits, develop strategies, as Rebecca was saying, uh, finding out what your goals are, self-honoring, what is self-love, all of these things are important. One book that's uh, that I recommend that I like is Stop Walking on Eggshells which is, uh, you know, often people pleasers are walking on eggshells because they're always afraid of, uh, they want to avoid that, that conflict, right? So they're uh, constantly there for others. So that would be a good one. Well, uh, we could I think we could have kept talking on this mm-hmm. one. Uh, next month, though, I do want to address with you guys uh, seasonal affective disorder because we're going to be like right in it. Yep. And people will be suffering, starting to see the effects of that. So we'll discuss that. Uh, Rebecca, where can people uh, reach you at? Uh, 514-402-5526. Wonderful. Stéphane? 514-542-6888 or psysanté.com. And Jackie Miller? 514-772-5683. And me at uh, drlaurie.com or 514-984-5910. Now, if you missed all those numbers, you can always listen to the podcast. Uh, it will be up on the Dr. Laurie page or at iHeartRadio or SoundCloud, uh, where you can find this, uh, this past show and all the past shows are all posted if you just go to the uh, Passion Radio link on drlaurie.com. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for your text. Thanks to my wonderful panel. Thank you to Aaron Lakoff, our technical producer. If you want to connect with me on social media, at Dr. Lori Betito. My last name is spelled B-E-T-I-T-O. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.